Hello and welcome to today's edition of the Business Excellence Podcast. My name is Rail Bricker coming to you from Perth, Western Australia. And with me, as usual, my co-host from Brisbane, Australia, Lindsay Adams. Hello and welcome. For a value added extra, excellencepodcast.com has heaps of free resources for you to download. That is excellencepodcast.com. And our special guest today is Devin Miller. Uh, Devin is the founder and CEO of Miller Law. He's a specialist in patents, trademarks, uh, and trademarks for small business, and he's based in Utah near Salt Lake City. Welcome, Devin. Hey, thanks for having me on. Excited to be here. It's uh, it's really great to have you. And um, we, you know, patents and trademarks. You call them patents. I we call them patents. But anyway, uh, we'll go with, with whatever. Um, it's a really interesting business. Uh, so, first of all, what, what what's the difference? What is a patent and what's a trademark? Are they the same thing or are they different? Help me out here. Yeah, absolutely. And I would kind of break it up. So there's a kind of an umbrella term that a lot of times you'll hear, which is intellectual property. So a lot of times people, they're referring to patents, trademarks, or copyrights, they'll say intellectual property. So within that, underneath that umbrella term of intellectual property, patents, trademarks, copyrights, they each go towards something different. So if you were to think of a patent, it goes towards an invention. So something that has a functionality, it does something, it accomplishes something, that would be a patent. A trademark is more on the branding side. So if you were to think of a name of a company, name of a business, a logo, a catchphrase, something that's with the brand. And then copyrights are going to be more on the creative side. So if it's kind of creative in nature, you know, a book, a video, a uh, sculpture, a painting, something that's on the creative side, you protect with copyrights. And so they kind of have each different avenues. You know, some businesses will need both a patent and a trademark or a copyright. So each of them are, are kind of have offered different avenues of protection that are set up to protect different things. So is it important to have, have either? I mean, you know, do you really need them? Yes and no. I mean, it depends and it depends on your business, but I'll give you a bit of insight. I mean, if you are, so the genesis behind why you would get any one of them is if you're building something that's kind of, intangible. In other words, if you're making the world's next best widget or next best iPhone, there's a lot of time, money, and effort that goes into research and development to figure out how to make that. Now, once you make the next best iPhone, you know, it's kind of like a magic trick. Once you know how it works, it's easy to reverse engineer it or figure out how to how it works. And so a lot of the difficulty is, is you put in all this time, money, and effort to develop something, then you put it out there in the marketplace. Somebody can tear it apart, see how it works, replicate it, knock it off. And now they haven't had to put in all that time, money, and effort to develop it. And they're able to duplicate it, do it at a lower cost because they don't have all the research and development. And then they out, undercut you in the marketplace. So kind of with that, you know, if you're doing an invention, you're saying, well, I need some way to protect all of that time, money, and research and development I put into it. Same thing with their brand. If you're saying, hey, we're going to go out and we're going to do tons of marketing. We're going to be the best, you know, marketing. Everybody's going to know our name and everything else. But once somebody comes along and says, hey, that's a great brand. Everybody likes it. Everybody trusts it. So we're just going to knock it off. We're going to mimic it. We're going to use the same brand. We're going to use the same logo. Well, everybody, now you're just riding their coattails. And all that time you put into branding, into marketing, and getting your name out there is just lost. And so that's really why you're doing the intellectual property is to capture in an asset that time, money, and effort you're putting into branding or to creatives or to an invention. Okay, so so how fine, I know in Australia, as an example, which is where we're based, um, you can have a company called Devon Miller, and mm-hmm. and you can have that registered name, and so it's protected by and large. 
And then someone will start a company, Devon Miller 2 or Devon Miller IP, mm-hmm. and it's completely unrelated and, and it's not protected. Um, even though your intellectual property may exist or be registered as Devon Miller, you know, you've developed, you know, the next best algorithm for something. You know, what, what is a, a broader worldwide picture on, on how close and how fine are these lines drawn? Yeah, and, and I'll give, I'm a U.S.-based attorney, so anything I say, I'm basing off U.S. law, but I have, you know, there's a lot of crossovers and similarities. So really, you know, most countries are set up to have very similar rules and interpretations. If I were to kind of take that broad approach, so you picked a great example and a horrible example at the same time. So when you look at trademarks, backing up whether or not you can trademark something, there's a couple standards for whether or not something is even trademarkable. So if you look and say, the first thing is, is they will go out and say, is it confusingly similar with what's already out there? And so what does that mean? It means, is there a trademark that's already out there that if they were to allow this, your trademark to be trademarked, you know, your word to be a trademark, it'd be confusing with what's already out there. So let's say you wanted to go start a company. And you wanted to make or smartphones and you wanted to, you know, name your company with the spelling A-P-P-L-L-E-E, Apple, but different spelling. Well, everybody's going to think, well, you're probably, or a lot of people are going to think you're probably related to Apple, the company that makes iPhones, right? Because you have a very similar spelling, it's pronounced the same. And so you're going, they're going to say, nope, that's confusingly similar. You can't get a trademark on something that's already out there if it's confusingly similar. Now, breaking that down. To your point, there's a couple caveats to that as far as confusingly similar. One, if you use your name, you, generally most countries, including the U.S. And, the, and Australia, you can't trademark your name or you can get a design or a logo for your name, but you can't trademark the use of the name. The reason being is the thought is everybody has their name. Everybody has a right to use their name for a company, for a business. So when you say Devin Miller, Devin Miller is I can't trademark it. I can't stop other people. If somebody else has that same name. They can name their company the same way. There's a caveat if you're super famous, like Michael Jordan or Tom Cruise or somebody of that, that everybody knows that name and they only think of one person, you can do that. For 99.9% of people, nobody knows your name. Everybody can use their own name. The one other thing, and then I'll take a pause, is with trademarks is if you're thinking, now, let's say you wanted to both get the same. We'll do a bit different. ABC company. We're just going to name or make up a company. And you want to do it for automobiles, you're going to be the world's best automobile maker. And I'm going to go and start a restaurant. And we're both going to name it ABC Company. You're going to make cars, I'm going to sell food. Well, most people aren't going to think that a car manufacturer is going to also be in the restaurant industry. There's just enough difference, enough overlap. So we're both able to coexist. So even though we use the same word for our company, because if people aren't going to think a restaurant is going to make automobiles or an automobile manufacturer is going to be in the restaurant business, we're both able to coexist. Okay. So, so here's, a, and, and the other one is common use. So I mm-hmm. tried my designer who, uh, my graphic designer, he committed suicide, unfortunately, earlier this year at the age of 49. So may, may, you know, he should be listening to us somewhere. Um, he, he came up a couple of years ago with, a, a byline or a tag for my business which said give your business the edge okay mm, fairly mm-hmm. standard you know it, but it was branded on everything for about three years website 
everything else. And then somebody said to me, oh, why don't you trademark that or at least copyright it or whatever? And I applied for the trademarking. And after about two years of messing around, mm. um, the trademarks authority in Australia came back and said, the statement, give your business the edge, is in too common use and therefore you can't trademark it. How does that come, you know, and then we think of Nike with, with, with you know, just do it. That is such a common trade, you know, phrase, but yet that's a trademark phrase. Yeah, and that's, a, I think, a fair example. There's a, a couple caveats to it. So one is, is if it is what, in different terminology for different countries, but the basic concept is it's merely descriptive or it's describing your goods or services. So if you were to think of give your you know give your company the edge, a lot of times it's going to describe what you're doing. In other words, because you're providing that service of giving companies an edge, then they're going to, and there's a couple of ways. One is they're going to say it's too descriptive. Give you another example. They're going to say, let's say you wanted to sell the, you know, you wanted to sell start a fruit stand. And you wanted to sell the world's best apples. And so you named your fruit stand Apple. Well, because everybody's going to think that what your the word Apple on your fruit stand is going to be for the product or something, for apples, they're not going to think that that's a brand or the name of your business. Then they're going to say, that's not trademarkable. You're just simply describing what it is. And the other kind of concept is, is with trademarks in general, is they don't, or trademarks are set up to be what are called source identifiers. That basically means, when I see that trademark, I'm going to think of it's associated with a company, with a brand. And if you get too generic, then they're going to say, give your company the edge. People are going to read that. They're not going to think of a company. They're not going to think of a brand. They're just going to think of what are you providing or a common phrase. So the way Nike gets around that is just do it. Is it's not, it's, it's on the border. It's, it's in that gray area. But one is they've been using it for a very long period of time. So they kind of acquired everybody when they hear just do it, thinks about Nike. But two, it's a bit one step removed from it's not just describing the service you're providing. It's not kind of merely descriptive and it's not quite as generic for, you know, going out there and selling shoes and selling apparel because it's kind of one step removed. And so whereas one is just kind of closer, the other one's farther along. That's how they probably cite it. Now, it is subjective. And so it's not a, an exact science. And you may get one examiner says, yeah, that looks fine. And the other one that says, nope, I'm going to stick my heels in. So, Devin, you're a specialist in startups and small business. So if we've got some startup or small business people listening, what's the first thing they should aim to trademark? I mean, where do you start? I imagine there's so many things that you could trademark, but what, what, are, the, what are the things that you should think of first? Yeah, I would. The, the way I typically answer that question is I would or back up and, and one step uh, removed which is what is the core value of your business? In other words, when you're saying, what should I protect with your, your business? Before you say, what should I trademark? I would say, what should I protect? Which is if you're going to make the world's best devices or widgets or apparatuses, then you probably, and you're going to say, our value is to make really cool technology. Branding doesn't really matter to us. Technology matters to us. Then you're going to look for patenting those things. But on the other hand, you're going to say, no, we are a brand company. That's what we do. Everybody recognizes our brand. We're really good about you're getting our name out there. Then you're going to do trademark. So once you answer that question of what is the value of your business, and you're saying, okay, no, it's our brand, then I'd go one step further. Now, is the brand of your business, is it the name of the company? In other words, are you, you know, Nike, which has, you know, or are you taking MMs? Are you Nike or an MMs? Nike is the name of the company. 
or you M&M's, which is the name of a product, or you both, you know, you same same thing you have with Apple. They have Apple, the brand name of the company. They also have iPhone and, uh, you know, the, all the various iWatch and iPod and those things that's the name of the product. Now, ideal world, you do everything, but if you're to start, you're going to say, what is the value of our business? When somebody, you know, if somebody were to come along and they were to knock off our brand, they were to copy it, which would hurt worse? If they need, or they knock off the name of our business, they knock off the name of our company or of our products. And depending on which one is more valuable, that's where you start. You're saying, here's the greatest value. Here's what we really want to protect. We're going to start there. And then as we have the budget and the time and the bandwidth, we'll start to protect out for those that are also valuable, but maybe not quite as much. So, Okay. So assuming your your product is unique, right? Whatever it is. And I know there's no, everyone says there's no new products. Everything's just variants and everything else. But let's say you have this new product and it doesn't have to be physical. I mean, it could be software or it could be it's any intellectual property. Um, and you want to, and you patent that. You can be a relatively unknown scientist sitting in the backwoods of you know, Salt Lake City, Utah, okay, in the mountains, sure. you know, when you're not skiing, you're inventing things. Um, sure. You can still patent it, but to have a, 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 a brand, like a trademark brand, it needs mm-hmm. to be in common use. Would that be a good description? Use, it, I would say quite or slightly separate, use in commerce, which is, it doesn't mean it has to be overly common. It doesn't mean that everybody has to hear about it but you are having to use it in commerce, which means you're having to actually be out there using the brand in association with something you're selling. So you can have a website selling your products. You can have a storefront selling your products or your services. You don't actually have to charge for your services, but you're doing something with a, that's tying your brand with a product or a service that's out there. As long as you're using it in commerce, then you're able to get a trademark on it. So it doesn't have to be common that everybody knows about it, but you do have to say we're out there, we're using the brand in association with a product or a service we're offering, as opposed to to a patent to your point, you can go and get patents on a whole bunch of things, never actually technically make the product and you're still able to get a patent on it because you came up with the idea, you are the first one to be able to come up with the idea, explain how it works, put it out in the public and get a patent on it. Devin, you're passionate about small business startups why what what's the attraction there for you uh, you know i think there'd be probably easier corporate dollars to be made and you you, you tend to focus in with the uh with the with the startup guys what help me understand that yeah no absolutely if i was purely just looking for let's make maximize my income then i'd probably just go the corporate route. you could go and become a partner at a law firm work your way up get a, a, a list of clients and away you go and that's probably the easier path then you don't have to worry about all the stuff of running a startup or a small business but for me it's probably a, a few different dualities one i just love to be able to captain my own ship in other words I like to be able to make the decisions that, hey, if I want to go and try out a crazy idea, or hopefully not all of them, not too crazy, but new <laughs> ways of doing things, you know, if we want to try and say, hey, we want to try this new program with the law firm, we do DIY legal products as an example. Well, maybe it'll work great, maybe it will flop. But I, you know, if I'm in a, in a corporate or a law firm type of a thing, either they're not going to listen to me. And if I'm senior enough, then you're going to have to make decision by committee. It's going to be a slow moving thing. Most people are, especially in the legal field, aren't going to want to be, they, they're adverse to change. And so it doesn't work. So for my personality, I like to be able to say, hey, I like to make decisions quick. I like to try different things out. I like to be able to not have to make decision by committee. Therefore, I just don't fit into that model. 
And then the second thing is I like the, for me, it's something that's an aid of building something that you can say that I built that myself. It wasn't somebody else that I came along and just joined, but I built something. I had a concept. I had an idea. I wanted to try something out and I built it up from the ground up. And there's kind of something I can point to as I built. So that's kind of where I have that innate love of doing startups and small businesses myself. I've run several of them, everything from small or family business that makes a few thousand a year up to seven and eight figure businesses that I'm still involved with. And because I love that, I also love to work with those type of businesses because it's kind of, hey, this is my personality. This is what I love and what I'm passionate about. And so I love to work with other businesses that are kind of along those same lines. Um, and so talking of a small business, so an incident happened, and, 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 I'll, and I'll follow it with a question. An incident happened to me a few years ago. I, I did a deal with a, a, a dealer group in financial services where if they had a capital event, so the, the, there was a trigger here, if they had a capital event, whoever bought them would be obligated to make me an offer at the same price earnings ratio. Okay. Mm-hmm. And, and so it was quite a sweet deal for me. It gave me some benefits along the way. Anyway, this capital event happened and I, I went off to, to Sydney to meet up with the person who was CEO of the company that had bought this dealer group. And mm-hmm. basically he sat across the table and looked at me and said, I've got more money than you. Um, if you want to exercise your rights under that contract, you're going to have to take me to court. Mm-hmm. Never put that in writing because that would just be the death knell. But sure. But that's what he sat across the desk and looked at me and said, you know, take, take me on. I've got more money than you. How, how do small businesses really, you know, I guess, you know, compete? And, and do they just get beaten up because people throw more money at big law firms? Sure. I mean, it is always, I would say, in a, as a general rule of life, those that have more money are always in a better position, right? It doesn't matter if it's legal, legal, educational, career. If you're in a place where you can outspend someone else, it always puts you at the position of advantage. But I don't know that it's typically, it's not, you know, a advantage that can't be overcome or competed against. So, you know, if I were, you know, that situation or others, there's a lot of times a few different paths that I would take. One is, great, I'll see you in court. This is a slam dunk case. I have a contract. I'm going to sue you and not only going to sue you, I'm going to come after you. Now, if you have, you may be, this because you don't have as much money. If you have enough money that you can take them through court, they're going to then summarily get, you know, go to the judge, say, here's a contract. They're in it or they're in default and the judge is going to honor it. And it can be a fairly seamless process. Now, on the other hand, let's say you're saying, no, it's going to be long. It's going to be protracted. They're going to drag it out. Then you have a, a couple different options. One is you can go and see, um, depending on the type of case, you can get a uh, an attorney that will do it pro bono. In other words, or they'll do it more likely on a contingency. And they'll say, okay, they'll typically, the attorney will look at it and say, hey, this is a value. The, the, the case is a high likelihood of success. I'm going to take a cut of the damages and the winnings. But in exchange for me taking that cut of the damages and the winnings, you don't have to pay for anything up front. So if it, depending on how strong of a case it is, you may be able to go find a contingency attorney. If you can't, then, you know, depending on, again, on the, the case, you can also, a lot of times, let's say you have intellectual property, you have patents, you have trademarks, you have something else, and you're going to say, well, guess what? I own these. And if you're going to come and just rip the company off, I'm going to take one of the assets I, I have. I'm going to go to the nearest competitor. I'm going to go to you to somebody that does have the big pockets, that is able to fight you. I'm going to sell all of my rights to everything 
and then they're going to come after you and they're going to take it. So there's some of the options that you can start to, to drill down, but there's several different ones that you can look at. You said something there. It's interesting um, about, you know, I've got the IP, I'm taking it with me. Um, I've seen a number of people make the mistake of putting the intellectual property into the operating business. Um, you know, how important is, and this is a bit, you know, going off the topic of IP as such, but, but you know, how important is that structure, getting it right up front, um, holding the intellectual property, holding the patents, trademarks, copyrights in separate entities from an asset protection point of view? I mean, that is a good question. It's one that, I, you know, it, it, get, it does get into that. It depends as far as what the business. So I'll give you a couple ways that I would tackle that. One is, and the way I've seen one and it's worked successfully, is you set up two different companies. You have the operating business and you have the intellectual property. Usually what you'll do is you'll have two separate companies. The operating business will then take a license from the other company such that you protect, you separate the assets, you set, separate the businesses out, and then you say, okay, if somebody wants to come along, they want to purchase, they want to buy, they can either buy both businesses. If they only really care about the operation side, they buy the operations. They only care about the licensing side. So it kind of separates that out. On the other hand, sometimes it is beneficial to have them all in one, under one hood. In other words, you don't have to worry about running two different businesses, paying taxes on them, setting them up and doing all of that. But then you have to understand when you bring on people into the business, when you make agreements, it's for the whole business. It's not for a part of it. And so you can say, hey, I'm going to keep 51% of the business or ownership, or I'm going to keep, you know, something hold back that you can make sure that as you bring people on, that you're not giving up that ability to control or otherwise own it. Now, it, sometimes if you're saying, hey, we're bringing on investors, they're not going to leave us with control. We're going to start getting diluted. We no longer have the 51% anymore. Another way you can go about doing it is you can say, rather than just simply do 51%, we have clauses in the agreement that if they break the agreement, they don't go anymore, automatically reverts back to me. I have ownership and allows you to kind of pick it up. And so again, it's one where you have to look and say how what the plan is for the business. Are you looking for bringing on partners, investors, licensing it, setting it up for acquisitions? And then you start to look and say, now let's set up a structure that best protects you. Devin, it's been really interesting talking to you. Unfortunately, we are out of time, my friend. Uh, if our listeners wanted to get in touch with you and talk all things IP, what's the simplest way for them to do that? Yeah, simplest way. I'll give a couple different ways. Um, if they wanted to schedule a one-on-one -on -one strategy meeting, so I offer free strategy meetings where we sit down 15, 20 minutes, talk through your business, kind of talk through what may might want to consider, answer any questions, kind of lay out a roadmap. Um, they can do that. Just go to strategymeeting.com. Um, that links right to my calendar and they can grab some time to chat. Another couple of ways, if they want to just find out more about the law firm, our prices, our structure, we have a ton of our educational material so they can start learning. They can go to lawwithmiller.com and that links, or links to the main website. The last one I'll throw out there is I don't do a lot of social media. I do love LinkedIn. And so if they ever want to connect up with me on LinkedIn one-on-one uh, -on -one or otherwise uh, network there, they can go to meetmiller.com and that links right to my uh, my LinkedIn profile. So strategymeeting.com if they want to do a one-on-one -on -one meeting, lawwithmiller.com for our main website and meetmiller.com to connect on LinkedIn. Thank you very much, Devin. That's been interesting. It's been fascinating. 
And, you know, in our work, both Lindsay and I with small, medium and, and larger enterprises, we see lots of people who've got it wrong, who've, who've, who've lost the fight because they haven't protected themselves or they've got the wrong structures in place. And so, you know, it's been it's been a great conversation today um, going down a whole lot of rabbit holes. Hey, the rabbit, some of the rabbit holes are the, the funnest to go down. So I appreciate you having me on. So thank you again, Devin Miller, for joining Lindsay Adams and myself on today's edition of the Business Excellence Podcast. This is Rail Bricker signing off for another edition with a reminder to pop along to excellencepodcast.com where you can download a number of free resources to help you on your journey to excellence in both business and in life.